And so I'm going to be preaching out of Psalm 127, Psalm 127. And my idea is this, uh, the God who gives rest, the God who gives rest, right? And my idea that I want to get across is God does the work and we are able to find rest. Pretty simple. God does the work and we are able to find rest, you know? And as I was thinking about this, um, what came to mind, I was thinking about how God is moving, what God does. And I thought about just like plants. And you might have heard this saying, uh, you can plant a seed and you can water it, but only God can grow it, right? Hallelujah. You've probably heard that. And, and when I think about that, the first thing that comes to my mind, maybe this isn't like biblical, maybe this isn't like the best, but like what first thing that comes to my mind is I think of a farmer taking a string, right, going to a plant, tying it around the top of the plant and like tugging on it, trying to make it grow. That's the first thing I think of. And, and I, I'm just like, you can't make it grow. No matter how much you try, you're not the one who's forcing that thing to grow. You're not the one who's enabling it to grow. Right? But then I kept thinking about plants, and I was like, uh, I thought about when I was in fourth grade. I remember like it was yesterday, and we were in class, and we took a soda bottle, right, and we cut it open. We put dirt in it, threw a bunch of dirt, and then we, we took uh, uh, seeds, we put seeds, and then we put water inside of it, and then you tape it all up, put the cap on, and they were teaching us about ecosystems, right? And, and I remember coming in every single day, going into fourth grade, and looking at my bottle, really close, and I remember just seeing the sprout come up, and I thought it was the most cool thing in the world because that bottle was taped up, that lid was sealed, and yet all by itself, this seed is growing, right? And I was thinking about how God is the one who grows it, right? God is the one behind it all, right? God is the one, you could say, who's making it grow, or you could say he's the one who put in place all the processes that makes that plant grow, Right. And and I was thinking how even farmers, when farmers, when they go to sleep, their business is still being run. You know, I mean, that's the one place where you're working and you don't even have to work at night. Like you can just go to sleep and, and that is still growing. They work hard during the day. But once their work is over, that thing's still growing. And I was thinking about how even God in our own lives, right, we might not be a plant, but God is working in our lives to grow us as well. God is working in our lives to bring together all that he has for us. His plans are still being worked through, and we can find rest. And that's where I want to dig into. And so Psalm 127 says this. So this is a song of ascent written by Solomon. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, at the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Right? And so Solomon, right, he was a thousand years before Jesus. He was alive and he wrote this. And as I was just trying to, trying to get in the mind, trying to just understand where Solomon was coming from when he wrote this. I'm thinking about what he did in his lifetime. And it's talking about how the house was built, right? If, if God isn't building the house, it's in vain that you build the house. And if he doesn't watch the gates, if he's not watching over the city, it's in vain, right? Now, seeing about how Solomon is the one who built the temple, right? How David was, was always dreaming about building the temple and his son saw the temple built, the house of God built. And then I was thinking about also how uh, how Solomon, he was also a conqueror, and he was also a king that went and, and, and just extended the lands of Israel. He knew what it was to have enemies. He knew how important it was to, to watch over the city. 
And here he is, this great builder of the house of God, the great watcher over Israel that kept it safe. And he says this, it's in vain if, if he doesn't build it. And it's in vain if he doesn't watch it. But I was also thinking about how they didn't just stop singing this psalm after Solomon, but they kept singing it over the centuries. And, and even after Solomon, then his son would come and during his son's reign, right, the kingdom split. And so now Israel has a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, right? And they're split. And then Assyria, a major superpower at the time, comes. They destroy Israel, the northern kingdom. And Israel is no more. They're gone. They're wiped out. And now it's just the southern kingdom, Judah, with, where Jerusalem is. Right, and then after Assyria comes, destroys it. I mean, if God doesn't watch the gate, if God doesn't watch the city, it's in vain, remember. And so now I'm thinking about Jerusalem and how then Babylon comes. Babylon destroys it. And they don't just destroy it, but they destroy everything. They, they take down the temple. They rip down every stone, right? They go and they begin to just conquer and they take them captives and take them back to Babylon. Back to Babylon, right? And so right now they're going back to Babylon. They're in exile. And they're probably just thinking, if the Lord doesn't watch the city, it's in vain. If the Lord doesn't build the house, it's in vain. And they're thinking probably about how, was it in vain? Was it over? Was it useless? Was it, was it just us? Did we, what happened? And then I think about how they came back, right? How they came back after being 70 years exiles. This is a song of ascent, meaning this, that. When they would come, there's feasts during the year, these Jewish feasts. And every year, I think there's twice or three times a year, they would come. And as they would go up to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's on a hill. And all these people who lived far off, who were Jews, coming back to worship God during these feasts, they would sing these songs as they were going up the hill. They're songs of ascent. They sang them as they were going up. right? And they're singing about how if God doesn't build the house, it's in vain. If God doesn't watch the city, it's in vain. And now after the Babylonian exile, and their home now, and they have Jerusalem, and the house of God has been rebuilt, they're probably thinking, they're probably just worshiping God, that God has rebuilt his house, and God is watching over this city, because they know firsthand what it is, that if God isn't, it's useless. And I was saying, this still applies to us as well, right? And, and what's actually so cool is, if you read verse 1 and 2, and then you read verse three and four, five, 3 through 5, you might be like, I don't really see the connection here. We're talking about building a house, watching a city. Now we're talking about, in verse 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb are reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And I, I didn't honestly think these were connected, these two ideas of it's useless if God doesn't do it. And now we're talking about building a heritage. I mean, the heritage of the Lord, which is children. But when, as I started reading, there's such a beautiful connection where verse three through five is actually an application in verse one through two, right? It's talking about how whatever you do in your life, if God isn't involved, it's in vain. It's useless. And then they dive in here. He says, now look, the children are a heritage from the Lord, meaning this, they're not, they're not from you. I mean, God works through you to make these children, right? God gave you these children. They're a reward. The fruit of the womb is a reward, right? They're from God. And then it shows this. So that's, that's building the house, right? That's building the house. God's built your house. God's built your home. God's built your family. God's built these friendships. And now it, it goes into this. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Right now we're going into the protection. Now we're going into guarding the city, 
This is a, this is a direct application from verse 2 now. He's saying, actually from verse 1, he's saying, just like I built your family, and just like I'm the one who needs to build the house, I'm the one who watches the city, and now I'm the one who watches over you. He says in verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. I'm talking about children. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, the gate is a place where they had legal procedures, while, where they had disputes. There was almost like a court set up at the gate. That was like the center of the town. That was where everything went down. And so now his enemies are at the gate, right? And he needs protection. He needs someone to watch over him. But God has already built the house. God's already built the family. And now God, through his children, are watching over him so that his enemies can't take over, right? Like arrows are the children. That's what it says, right? Arrows, arrows keep the enemy far off. Enemy arrows are what protects the city. And, and God is saying, I've given you arrows so that you would be protected. Your family is protected. You're protected. Right? What we're seeing in this passage is that God is the one who's working within our lives. Going back to verse 2. Right? It says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, I want to just focus in on the emphasis being shown. And if you check out verse 1, it says, unless the Lord builds the house. And then... The third line says, unless the Lord watches over the city. He's repeating himself, right? This is, this is a classic way to get an idea across. Just repeat yourself. And that's what he's doing, unless the Lord. You could say, if the Lord does not do this, it's in vain. I mean, he says it twice, so we get it in our mind. Unless the Lord isn't doing it, it's in vain. It's useless. And then look at this. Uh, second, second line, it's in vain. Then fourth line, it's in vain. And then beginning of verse two, it is in vain. He wants us to understand. He's making it as clear as day. He doesn't want us to miss this, that if God is not involved and if God is not the one watching the, watching the city, building the house, covering your family, it's in vain. It's useless. It's for nothing. He's really showing us what we can do in our own strength, right? Nothing. Nothing, right? I, I thought about it. Um, it was like uh, it was like this. This one writer I was reading, he said this. He was talking about how his um, his he was pumping up a bike tire for his son, right? And all of a sudden, his son wanted to help him, so he, he gives the, the pump to his son, and his son's really small, and he's doing everything he can to pump up this tire. I mean, he's yanking it right, and he just can't get it down. He's he's trying to jump on it; it's not going down. Right? He's losing his grip. He's falling down. It's not working. So his dad's like, all right, I'll, I'll pump it. And his son gets bored and he walks away. And his dad's pumping the tire. Right? And then his daughter comes. And his daughter wants to help. And so his daughter puts her hands on the, on the pump. Right? And she starts pumping. But he takes his hands and puts it over hers. And they're pumping together. Right? And they're pumping. And that tire is able to, to inflate. Now, if she takes her hands off, he's still going to pump the tire. But... If he takes his hands off, the tire will never get pumped. And, and the point of this passage is to see this, that God does everything and we do something. It's not that, though, God does everything and we do nothing, right? That's laziness. But when God does everything and we do something, that's called faith, right? And, and that's what he's getting into is this idea of trust, this idea that we understand, though we work and though we try hard and though we do everything we can, God is the one who's doing it in the end, right? Because it's so easy. It's so easy to think that we can do it in our own strength, right? It's so easy to put all the weight on our own shoulders. 
I mean, that's the American dream. I mean, to just work hard, do everything you can, and earn all that you can so that you did everything, right? It's an eye-focused idea. But that's not what we see in the Bible at all. It's not the American dream. It's God's dream, right? And God's dream is not that we would do it all, but that we would understand that he's working through us, right? That's, that's, that's the idea that they, we need to get to. This is the idea found throughout the entire scriptures, right? It's not that we do it, but that we participate because even though we do something, he does everything, right? Even though we do something, he does everything. I mean, just reading, we see this in the New Testament as well. It says in Matthew 11, verse 28, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples and everyone else who's listening. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right, Jesus, I mean, you would think this must be the most awesome chapter in the whole Bible, right? But right before this, Jesus was actually, he was doing the woes to the city. He was telling this one city, if you continue and you don't repent, you're going to be worse than Sodom. Like, you're going to be destroyed. Like, and then Jesus hops into this. I mean, it, it throws you for a ride. And he says, if you, when you come to me, though, and you take my yoke, you will find rest. And this is the same idea we're finding in 127, Psalm 127. He's saying you can try to do it all on your own. But what you're really doing, going, what does it say? It says going, waking up early and going late to rest. You're eating the bread of anxious toil. I mean, what a great picture. I mean, it's not a fun picture, but he's like eating the bread. Like I just picture myself digging my teeth into a big fresh loaf of bread. Right? And it tastes delicious, but after like five minutes of chewing, you're like... You know, you're like, all right, I got to get this thing down now, like chugging water, trying to get that piece of bread down. And I just pictured like just chewing on that anxiety, chewing on that anxious toil, chewing on, chewing on the, just the thoughts of, all right, am I going to get that done tomorrow? All right, all right. Are we going to be pay the bills tomorrow? Okay. uh, Is, is, is this going to work out? Are the people on my job, are we going to work together? Is it going to work? You know, you might even be coming to church and saying, all right, this merge, is this going to work? Oh, how's it going to happen? What's going on? Like, is, is this going to be what God wants? Is, right? And we, we just start thinking and thinking. You go to bed at night, and even though you're done at work, you're still working. Who's ever dreamed of working? Like, you wake up in the morning, I'm like, dude, I did more of my sleep than I did during the day. Right? I mean, you get to that point, if it just never stops. It's continuing. It's working in your mind. It's, it's just this anxious toil. And even though you might be the most successful person on earth... You might have everything that you ever wanted. You're still needing more. You might have a full bank account. You might have everything. You might have a house. You might have a great family. You might have everything you ever wanted. And you still can't sleep. I I love what the psalmist does. Look at this. He says, says, it's in vain that you build the house if God doesn't do it, right? It's in vain. It's useless. But then when he gets to the point where he explains how it's not in vain, he doesn't say that now the house is built, you're a success, you've done it, you, you've, you've reached the goal, right? The opposite for him of in vain and useless is not success in, in productivity. But right at the end of verse 2, he says this, the, the opposite of, of in vain and, not, and useless and doing it on your own is actually sleep. Because I think true success and true fulfillment and that true goal isn't that we finally realize we have everything because we'll always want more. But the opposite is truly coming to a place where now 
I have him and he's working and I can have rest and sleep. And you get to that place where you lay down at light at night and you say, God, I'm giving it to you. And in all those nights where we couldn't fall asleep and we kept staring up at the ceiling, we, we kept rolling around or we kept sitting up or we kept getting up and all those nights come to this place where we're like, God, I can't do it. Even though, I mean, I'm doing a good job, even though it's all working out, even though my family's okay, the bills are okay, the job's okay, the, 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 everything's okay, God, it's fragile, I can't, I can't hold it any longer. I'm, I'm carrying this load on my back. I'm carrying this yoke, as Jesus would say. It's just heavy, and I can't pull it any longer. And God says, I can rest. He says, I give you sleep. It's one thing to rest, right? That's the word he uses in the beginning. He says, I will give you, like, you need rest. And then he says, I will give you sleep, right? Because it's one thing to be able to sit down and enjoy an afternoon, but it's another thing to close your eyes and let everything go and fall asleep. And that's what he's talking about. He's not even just talking about physical rest of, of taking a break. He's talking about a spiritual rest, a soul rest, which is deeper than than just the physical physical activity, but the emotional, the mind, the heart, this place of God, things might be great or things might need a lot of work, but I'm sitting in your rest. I know you, you are working as I follow you. He says this, the beloved, the beloved, he gives rest. They don't even earn it. He gives it them. It's nothing to do with earning. It has nothing to do with reaching the goal that God has so that you could finally have what he has for you. It's accepting what he already has given so that you can have rest. And then he just, he, even, I love Second Corinthians. I think this is a great way to look at it too. Paul says this, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in peace. I mean, in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? Paul is saying, I need something that's beyond this world. I need something that's beyond myself. He's saying even these things that are not even necessarily work, right? These, the insults, right? The diseases, the distresses, the persecutions, the weaknesses that he has. All these things that he could be anxious about. He's saying, it's good because then I realize how much God is working in my life and how much I'm not. I realize the power of God when I am weak because then I see how he is working. Right? That's what he's saying in Psalm 127. He's saying, you think you've been doing it yourself this whole time. And you've been eating the bread of anxious toil, chewing on that bread. But really, I am the one who's working. I am the one who's doing it. I'm the one who's there at your job with you. I'm the one who's there in the hospital room with you. I'm the one who's there with you at the, fam- at the table with your family. I'm the one who's there. And unless I am there, it's in vain. If I'm not there, it's in vain. It's useless. But when I am, because I am, you have rest. You have sleep. Right? That's what he's talking about. And then I was honestly, I was thinking about when I had, I had this go-kart, right? 
So big jump. But I had this go-kart. And it makes sense, trust me. And so I had this go-kart. And I, all I ever wanted to do, actually, I joined welding shop because I wanted to build a go-kart. And then I ended up loving it. But then, so we were making, I was making this go-kart my senior year. All right, and we put the, I put wheels on, I made a frame, I made everything. I made, it was awesome. This thing was so sick. And I had a steering rod, steering rod, and I had everything I needed, right? Except this, I didn't have an engine, I didn't have brakes, and I didn't have a steering wheel, right? And so, so we, I brought this home, right? And I was like, I'm going to finish it one day, but it eventually just rusted away in the backyard. And so I sit down in this go-kart that actually didn't even have a seat. And it had a floor, though. So I sat down in this go-kart, and my brother would push me around, right? And my brother would push me around. I was like, tw- I was like 18, right? And so I'm going around the neighborhood, like, trying to steer this thing with the rod. I don't even have a steering wheel. And it was just so much work. And then I'd get out, and I would push him. And we realized how heavy we are then. And so then we're, we're pushing, and we're, we're running with it. And eventually, I would get tired, and we would just give up, and it rotted away in the backyard, Right? And I was thinking about how many times in my own life am I pushing the cart? How many other times am I, am I pushing the cart? Am I just saying, all right, let's go. You know, and I'm like, all right, your turn. And, and how many times have I done that? How many times have I trusted in myself and tried to push the cart? At work, at home, wherever. How many times have I done that? When God is saying, I'm the engine. All you got to do is press the gas. Here I am. Would you rest and trust and sleep in my, in my presence with my help? And really, this, this message, the, the, what you should do not, next from this message, isn't even really something physical. It's really just about our realization. It's about having trust it's about changing your perspective. Because maybe you've been pushing the cart. Maybe you've been trying to pull the flower up. Maybe you've been trying to, to do it all yourself, pump the tires yourself, not realizing that God has been there the whole way. That God is the one who's bringing things into fruition. That God is the one who, who's bringing together all that you are trying to do for him. This whole life, and all you have to do is, is work Sleep and rest because even though you do something, God does everything. God is working. But we have to trust. We have to rest in that. So unless God is working on my job or unless God is doing my homework, I wish he would. Unless God parents my children, unless God pays my bills, unless God is in my marriage, unless God is in my friendships, it's all in vain. It's all useless because on my own, I can't do it. And at times I've tried and I just spend those nights awake staring at the ceiling. And I know I'm not alone. But when I realize and I trust that God has actually been there the whole way, I turn off my phone, I throw it to the side, I close my eyes and I fall asleep. And I sleep because I am trusting in him. And that's what he has for us. That's the yoke that that Jesus was talking about. That while we follow him and as we're doing his word and as we're following his teachings, as we're living this life for him, at the end of it all, we can fall asleep and trust in him that he is working. That's what God has for us. So God does everything and we do something. But even when we stop, he's still working. 
So why don't we pray? Father God, we just love you. We thank you, Lord, that you're the God who does it. You're the God who does everything. You're the God who's involved in our lives and bringing things to fruition, that God, you are the one that we trust in. Because if we're not with you and if you're not doing it, then it's all in vain. It's useless. But God, when you're involved and we're trusting in you and we see you in our lives, God, we fall asleep. We have rest. God, we have peace. Our hearts are whole. They're not searching. So God, go with us. Help us see you. Help us know that you're there every step of the way. Because God, on our own, we can't do it. But with you, God, you do it. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. Lord, bless our church, bless our families, God. I pray that you would just bless this merge and, and help us see that, Lord, it's you who's doing it. It's you who we trust in. It's you who gives us the rest the peace so we can sleep. But we are desperate for you. We need you, Lord. Lord, we love you, God. We praise you, Jesus. I pray that you would go with us, that, God, you would, you would strengthen us throughout the whole way. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great day.